Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John as we continue in our sermon series through John. And we're going to be reading verses 22 through 71 in John 6. This is the word of the Lord. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from the heaven, from heaven, But my father gives, um, excuse me, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as they taught at Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Just a little short scripture reading there for you. Um, Believe it or not, believe it or not, that is not the longest scripture reading in the history of Christ Central. Um. I did that so the community group leaders can have a lot more work this week. I'm just going to touch on it. I'm going to let y'all go deeper. Um, as we continue through the book of John, we come this morning to a very popular Bible story. The account of Jesus taking a boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish, and out of that miraculously feeding 5,000 hungry families. And I have to mention after that, 
Jesus walking on water. Now, that part of the story is not printed in your bulletin. You are free to go back and read the beginning of chapter 6, but I purposely printed the less exciting stuff in your bulletin. Lots of it, too. Because the miracles that Jesus did, the supernatural works, were but pointers. They were but signs, signals to greater and deeper things that are easy for us to miss. God's works that we see happening here in the gospel point us onward and upward beyond themselves. This whole chapter 6 is is not a story about Jesus feeding 5,000 families or about Jesus walking on water. This is about Jesus feeding 5,000 families and what walking on water means. So here are your three points for the point people. Ready? Then I'm going to blow it up because I don't do points well. Okay, here are your three points. Number one, God's works, God's works point to the writing of all things. Secondly, God's works point to right relationship with him. And finally, God's works point to the writing of the hearts of believers. So this is what happens. Jesus is killing it right? Doing all kinds of signs, not just any signs, but healing sick folk and making people walk who were cripples and stuff. Subsequently, large crowds bringing their sick and even demon-possessed friends and, and disease were following him that day. And it was getting late, and folks were not going home, and seeing that it was near dinner time, the disciples were like, Jesus, send these folks away back home so they can eat. And Jesus says, no, And he takes five loaves and two fish from a boy's lunch and feeds thousands, a miracle. And so folks get starstruck by Jesus and want to make him king, which which would have made his stock rise too quickly. And and knowing it, Jesus rolls out in the middle of the night while folk went to sleep with, with, with full stomachs. That's when his disciples went out looking for him on sea, on the sea, and saw him walking towards them, but in creepy fashion. Walking on water. Later, the Bible tells us that the crowd was looking all over for Jesus because it was time for breakfast. But before we get into what the divine chef Jesus was serving that morning, let's stop and consider what his works, the works of God in those miracles were declaring. They pointed, first of all, to the writing of all things. Here are your subpoints, subpoints, people. The writings, the writing of the effects of sin and a world of sin. For Jesus to do these miracles like he did on earth, especially to the sick and disenfranchised among the poor and destitute and and forgotten, for him to to offer mercy and, and justice in the miraculous way he did, and then by explaining that the works he did were the works of God from heaven on earth, in verse 32, Jesus was saying that the works he did on earth point to God's power to make what sin has marred and destroyed and broken, seen in cripplings and poverty and justice, right. But not only the effects of sin, but this world of sin. When Jesus talks here about bread from heaven, he is, of course, talking about something deeper, but he's also saying that the works of God on earth, the beautifying, miraculous things Jesus did in feeding these people and being God with them, God hanging out with them, and, and then the talk about raising people um, up on the last day to eternal life pointed to the writing of a world 
of sin, that, that, that one day we will live eternally in a place, in a state where, where we will be close to God like this crowd wanted to be with Jesus and get from Jesus to no longer live with sickness and death or hunger. And Jesus was the one who's going to bring us there and take us there. Jesus says this in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That is works of God point to freedom, redemption, restoration, justice, and peace beginning now, but coming and being established forever. And that means that even now, today, he exercises those works. He executes signs through his people, the church. So the church and his people, we do works of mercy and justice and love and redemption. And we pray and we seek healing for people physically and emotionally and financially and even mentally. We go all out to help this world win and where it is hurting. It is right to feed and clothe and comfort and counsel. It is God through Jesus working through the church, his people that, is mar- that are marked by things that, that point to what? The defeat of sin and to a new and coming and final and perfect and eternal world through their Savior, Jesus Christ. As good as that sounds and sounded back then, The Bible is pretty clear. The crowd following Jesus and calling themselves his disciples wanted the works more than they wanted what Jesus was trying to teach them. They wanted more food. They wanted more healing. They wanted more signs. They wanted more make us happy magic Jesus tricks, right? They they even went along with Jesus for a while, and Jesus calls them out on it too. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And they had a pretty good idea. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I don't know if you're seeing this, but they're trying to bait Jesus to prove that he is king, but only if they could get some breakfast out of it, right? So, Jesus, we believe in you, just like our fathers in the desert. I got a great idea. They gave him bread then. Give us some more bread, and then we'll believe in you. Let me tell you what Jesus has done here. He has put himself by confronting them to not let God spoil their and our appetites for more or less than we should get. So he sent Jesus through works to point us to more, to point past ourselves and this sinful world and to right relationship with him. Now here are the subpoints: Through the death of Jesus and through the life of Jesus. So Jesus begins to make getting another fish sandwich pretty complicated, right? And he starts in by saying this. 
pick up at verse 31 where we left off. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, see, give us this bread always. Jesus said to him, said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. He has put himself in between what they long for, like they want this bread, and for God's blessing from heaven for their needs. Jesus literally makes himself heavenly red tape because he knows that the last time this food, manna from heaven thing happened, a, a lot of Jews didn't have a right relationship with God when Moses led them to the promised land, to the land of prosperity, and when God raised down manna, they got dissatisfied with what God gave, and it made God kind of angry, and a lot of them died. So Jesus is saying, here's your second chance to get the manna thing right. So Jesus declares, if you want to get it right, I am the bread of heaven. I am what you need to have right relationship with God and the necessary sustenance, the necessary setup for y'all to have right relationship with God. And then and only then get the writing of all things you seek for your world. Jesus teaching them and us that all of these good works, all of the things Christianity promises to do and does, point to right relationship with God by his death and life. And the Bible says they grumbled about him. Look with me at verse 40, 41 and 42. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, who, Joseph whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They definitely don't want to make him king now because he's not going to give them the bread too easily, is he? And he keeps going. Look at verse 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from the God, but he who has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and what? They died. This is the bread that comes from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And here is where it gets crazy. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then they get all confused, right? Like I would if I've heard it for the first time. And Jesus, you know, and, and, and Jesus being the antagonistic protagonist keeps going deeper with it, right? So what does he answer them and they're grumbling? Verse 52 says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus says to them, 
Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true food. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. For this crowd, as for those of us who hear this read today, the bread of heaven thing is bad enough. By saying that he was the only way to get more bread and blessing rightly, and the only way to be right with God obviously is through him. That's hard for us to hear that Jesus is saying, I am the only way and the only one who can really save you. No other gods, no other prophets. I am the Messiah. That's hard enough. But then for Jesus to say that people have to eat his flesh and drink his blood just makes things weird. I mean, Jesus went all vampire and walking dead on them. No living dead, rather, because he talked about life from his flesh and blood, and we'll get to that in a minute. But this crowd is thinking, we're confused because Jesus must be confused. Knew it was coming. Joseph's son done lost it. Bread of heaven and eating his flesh and drinking his blood, we's out, man. Bread or no bread. And the disciples of Jesus even say it. This is too hard to hear. This is crazy. We were doing fine when you were healing people and giving us food to eat in the middle of the day, lots of food. But now you're talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. I knew he was going to lose it. No carpenter ever from Nazareth turns out to be anything good. Guess what, y'all? Hasn't gotten any easier today. Not because it's hard to understand. It's just hard to accept. When he said this back then, I'm sure many thought he was advocating some sort of weird, cultic, occultic cannibalism. Or worse, that he was God. But this is what Jesus was teaching. Remember, it was a Passover time, and, and they would eat a lamb as a family, and that would help the Jews remember how God saved them in Egypt when the blood was smeared over the doorposts of their ancestors and God's Death angel passed over them, and then the bread from and then the bread from heaven referred to God feeding them in the desert on the way from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. Well, Jesus, by saying, I am the bread of heaven, and eat my flesh and drink my blood, is saying this the way, the medium between right relationship between God and broken human beings, and then right relationship and love between people is me. Meals mean a lot, don't they? Let's do lunch. I like this one. Let's do coffee. Sometimes you put the indefinite article. Let's do a coffee together. What's doing a coffee together? It's just kind of corny. You want to do a coffee? Um, I drink some coffee. I'm not doing a coffee. But meals mean a lot. Let's do a lunch. You know, they, they mean fellowship and communication and community between people sitting there. And it means so much more when someone invites you to eat with them at their house and they prepare it in their home and invite you in. The meal is a labor of love that says, I want a relationship for you and with you and, and 
for that, some special animal or plant must die and be consumed. But the meal here Jesus was talking about was himself. That he would die on the cross for the sins of people so that sinful people like you and me could sit down and make relationship and have communion with a holy God. But it had to be a relational meal that God gave and offered from heaven. It was a peace offering between God and man, but along with that, he invites others to participate too. And the relationships there are not only loving and reconciling vertical between us and God, but horizontally between people, all because of an offering, of a sacrifice, of a meal that would mean repentance and forgiveness and acceptance before God and between each other and his people and those who will become his have to consume Jesus for that to be true. When people consume Jesus, when they consume what God has served and given in Jesus, we spiritually ingest and take in and believe in what Jesus did in dying on the cross. And when we eat of him and consume him spiritually, we declare what? We are sinners and Jesus is our Savior. And God is now, because of his death, our Father. And people who even could have been our enemies the day before, who sit around the table, are now our family and our brothers and sisters because of the power of Jesus' death. The dividing wall between us and God and us and each other are destroyed at the meal of Jesus' blood and body. Jesus saying, All the works done on earth in and by me and through my people point to what? The need for the cross, for my death because of sin, to have right, to have right kind of relationship between God and them and them and each other. That is salvation. And everything we do and we'll walk on and do should point towards and be fueled by that and not unto itself. Christianity is a blood and flesh thirsty faith of those who believe and live off of the faith and reality that as they eat, they have right relationship with God. And this is a hard one because we all want to be socially acceptable. And I love this Christian word, relevant. Right? We want to dress like the world. We want to look like other people. We, we don't want to be too different. Because if we're too different, it'll be offensive, right? We, 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 we want to be the cool Christians. You can't tell who we are. We incognito. We don't want to be crazy Christians that socially come across as offensive Jesus zombies who are relentless in our pursuit and display of him. We just want to be do-gooders and known for our love. In the community and in our excellence, we want to show the world that being a Christian and having Jesus is not too bad. We want to be known for being graceful and loving and cool, like we believe Jesus was. So you know what we believers and church people do? And if you're not a believer today, I'm a tell on church people. They faking. We fake a lot. 
We fake out our Lord a lot. We leave our Lord behind a lot. We go into relationships and to our jobs and do all kind of good things for and to people. We help the sick and the poor and the disenfranchised, all good stuff, and all the unchurched and most sinful and sin-affected people. And we even talk about it. You know, I hung out with homeboy the other day. You know, he really ain't a Christian. You know I'm something. And we will even make our righteousness about being around and living with those people moving into hard and poor neighborhoods and going to parties and events. But we have built this Christianity that wants to skip over what the disciples call hard sayings and hard truths. Your faith and what you do as believers should point to every human being's need to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a hard one. We don't want that dead man walking around with us. We, we, we don't want Jesus hanging around, smelling like blood and broken flesh. We don't like that. We should not, hear me now, we should not do good works for the goodness of it, but the gospel of it. And the gospel that loses the offense of a bloody and torn Savior for us sinners is not the gospel at all. The gospel is not cool. It's bloody. And it says to everybody who sees it, you evil. Let that be the party session. Don't get me wrong. This is not about being a bunch of tactless hooligan jerks. But about bearing in your testimony. That's your life story acted out every day in your works. Bloodiness. The stench of someone who needs and longs for and has been fed by the bloody grace of Jesus in all they do. It means doing life to bring glory and attention and pointing to what will surely make your friends and family uncomfortable. And most likely walk away just like they did from Jesus. Not walk away from you. They'll like you because you're cool. You might even be feeding them that day. Nobody leaves a good meal. Especially if you're paying for it, I want to witness to my friend, you know, so I'm going to pick up the tab. They're going to eat. But when they hear about Jesus for real, like on the cross, like bloody and torn, and when they see him, they see their sin and need for him as Savior, man, let me tell you, you can clear a room real fast. You know, and they they reject you and Jesus as offensive and too hard and just unnecessary spiritual red tape. If there's one religion in the world that's a pain for everybody, it's Christianity. Because we walk around Jesus the only way. Oh, man, just drop Jesus and do the good things he did. Be like a Gandhi, Jesus. He ain't dying to save the world. He did some good things. But drop all that cross and Savior and blood and flesh stuff. Leave that behind or we're going to leave you behind. But I'm here to tell you, that thing about, you know, being bad to other religions is a bunch of bull. Christianity is nothing without the red of Jesus. It's not Christianity anymore. It's just a work-centered Good group of people. 
And that's not what we're about. Mercy, justice ministry. We do all kinds of works. We had the film festival and cinematic Christmas. Why? Why do we do all that good stuff in the hood? Oh, we like to tell people and show the brochures, you know, with the kids with the darker skin who ain't as good as we are or, or the kids with the flies riding on their head and, the, you know, the stomachs looking like they're hungry. We like to show all that off. But for what? Why do we give our money to things? Why do we hang in there? Not to be acceptable to the Lord. I hope not. Jesus has already done that by his works. So that people can be pointed to the Lord because they're trapped in sin. And we have assumed that being Christ-like is being good work doers. And that is partly true. Being Christ-like is pointing to Jesus in this offensive grace. It is not, hear me now, it is not Christ-like to just be loving to your neighbor. It is Christ-like to love our neighbors as we love and therefore let our God show up as he is. You can't love your neighbor and not love God. And you can't love God and not love your neighbor. But we like to leave the love God part behind because we don't like our God. You know, when I was in seminary, my professor would say, you know, you, you young seminarians, y'all like Apostle Paul. Y'all don't like Jesus too much. He's hard, man. I mean, look at the stuff he's saying. We don't want to roll him out, you know. And it's funny. We would never in this church come down on someone who comes into church dressed poorly, even smelling offensively. Most of y'all would have a fit. If I got up in this pulpit and said, you know, women got to wear dresses with the thing on their head. Men got to wear suits. You can't smell bad. If you don't, you don't get the front seats. Y'all would be like, we out of here. Then why do we do that with Jesus? Jesus shows up in our conversations or in our reasons for doing good and all the cross and blood stain personal personality with all that i am the only way stuff and have to heaven conversation and you know what we want to do with him hide him he's dressed poorly he is a poor social worldly commentary or conversation piece how dare we do that to our king your king is a suffering savior. But I must ask you, as I ask myself, how many times have you uncovered the gracious bloodiness of your faith? What if people knew the real reason you were nice and loving or moral? What if people knew you were a blood-sucking, cannibalistic, Eucharist-loving fool who lives off and for of the bloodshed of the Lord Jesus? Some of us believers, we're tired. We're worn out. Our faith is so empty. We don't feel connected. And one reason is we're not eating the blood and body of the Lord Jesus. We're kind of doing the good works in our own strength. And the irony of it is you have to kind of major on and consume the death piece of the Lord Jesus Christ in that life in order to live the good work life that you so long to live. You are and become what you eat, right? So right relationship with God is about taking the life of Jesus too. What Jesus is saying here is that when you eat 
When he says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, when you eat of me, when I become your sustenance spiritually, you will become like me. You won't become Jesus. I'm not talking about you're going to be divine. But your life will be shaped like his because you are what you eat. Look at what happens with Peter here. This is interesting. So after this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus, verse 66. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen, Peter's eating it up, hasn't he? Here's the thing. I was reading a commentary, and it kind of started to make sense to me what being a believer was more about, and I hated it. I hated it when I first read it. Laid out all on the floor in my office, groaning. This can't be true. Being a follower of Jesus is being like he was in this way. He said two chapters back, my food is doing the will of the one who sent me. And I began to think about some of the reasons we come to be believers or churchgoers or or God lovers or whatever. We're so self-serving, aren't we? We were hurt. We needed friendship. We were guilty or we were unhappy or failing in this or that or we were rejected or church people were nice to us or fed us even and they got great coffee or we like to be part of something, a community that is positive or the karma you know, thing needs to be right, or because they were about loving the city, and I was too, and justice stuff, and I needed a good place to raise my kids, and, and if I didn't go, my wife would be mad at me. To change my life for the better is why I went to church. But do you know what this commentator, and I believe Jesus is saying, what you are signing up for and will become if you eat and believe in the bread of life? Your life pleasure and blessing from Jesus is this. You ready? Here it is. Here it is. That you live and love to live in obedience and following of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You love obeying the Lord. Not you got to or be rejected. You love the Lord. And you love obeying him. And you love following him, even to death. Welcome to Christianity. Pastor Brown, when am I going to get the new car? When are you going to start obeying and following Jesus? That's the end of your faith. And this is what we do until we finally reach that eternal life. I'm sorry, y'all. I wanted to lie and let y'all know Christianity was going to make everything right right now. But even in these stories, when people were healed, they probably got sick again. And the man who got resurrected died again. So let me tell you, it was very hard. That, that is what the earthly result of gospel is in the corporate and individual life of God's people. Jesus' life is alive in you. That you, guess what? Here, here's the blessing. Here's the bread. You are obedient and sacrificial and willing to go to bloodshed and suffering and not having and being rejected to obey and submit your life to the Lord. And that is a joy and pleasure and fulfill, keeping with the food theme, meant of the kingdom. And when people knew what he was saying, the Bible said those folk hit the road. 
I don't want to just be obedient. I want it to pay off now. Because Jesus is seeking to make his people, people who may not be successful. Hear this now. This room is filled and should be filled with people who are not successful or healed or healed forever all the time, who have perfect lives and families, not those folks who are living our dreams or, or self-destiny or, or feeling comfortable in the American dream or getting the job we want or, or finally being what our parents wanted or getting out of the hood. These are good works, but what the life Jesus is promising is being able and apt and turned in the heart to obey and follow them Follow him as those who have drunk the Kool-Aid, spiked by his blood and accompanied by his flesh. And now he comes and asks men and women to die as well. To die to their dreams. To die to their own personal desires. To die to being popular and accepted or rich or famous or no longer struggling when he has the power to give you all of that. Instead, he calls them to live in the death and life of himself. This is hard. It's hard being a Christian sometimes. I struggle because I read the scripture and I know Jesus can pay all my bills. I know he can make things not struggle. I know he can change Kelly so we have a better marriage. Yeah, y'all should laugh. It ain't anything about her. I know it. I know he can make all this wrong in this world right. But being a Christian is not about that ultimately. It's about a heart that's able and loving to follow God and obey him for the right reason. Close with this. The disciples say to Jesus, This is too hard. I wrote something down I want y'all to see. I'm not going to take long because it's clear that John was a Calvinist, or, or rather that John Calvin was Johnine, sorry. But here's the clear point the gospel is unbelievable. No, really unbelievable. It is the epicac. Y'all know what epicac is? It is what, exactly what it sounds like. It's when your baby swallows something bad, you give them that stuff, and they throw up, right? It's the epicac of people. It makes us sick. It might go down at first, but the more you learn about what Christianity is truly about, it easily forces its way back up through the human spiritual gag reflexes, right? You see, the real work of God was not fish and loaves. It was how he made the fish and loaves effective to save people. See, Jesus, you know what we hate as postmodern Christians? We hate the bait and switch, right? You, you, oh, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a Super Bowl party for the youth. The youth come over there, and then what happens? It turns into a youth rally. Well, we're, gonna, we're just going to get together and have some pizza. Have some pizza. Everybody bring out their tracks, turn to a prayer meeting. Dang, I knew I shouldn't have trusted these Christians. Jesus doesn't do bait and switch. He does bait, bait and hitch. That was supposed to be cool. It's a little whack, I know. But it makes sense. Jesus does good works. It's like hiding the medicine in the applesauce, Right? Well, in this case, he hides the ability 
to follow what's hard in the bread. So real things that are done in this world, whether it's reading scripture or prayer or fellowshipping or eating the Lord's Supper or coming to church, in some of those offerings is the gift to actually make you say something crazy. Like, I want to follow Jesus. That's the most incredible work of God. So we come in full circle, right? Yes, help the poor. Yes, do mercy ministry. Yes, do outreach events. Yes, go to the poor and disenfranchise. Yes, seek healing. Because in those things as they're done by Christ may be the Spirit's work to convert somebody, to make somebody say, hey, I'm a sinner. He's a Savior. I need him. It's a miracle that the bread of heaven has incarnated into something Tangible. Eat him. His word. His sacraments. Give him his words, like real words on a page. How does that happen? Because he's the bread of life. And what's hard and impossible, let me put it, impossible to do or believe and follow. Let me tell you, yesterday, yesterday I was at Presbyterian meeting and my friend Mark Upton, just this offside kind of preacher guy, he ain't nothing. Um, just kidding, we have this joke, you know, he was like, we don't need good music like yours, Howard, because the preaching's so good. That's what he told me yesterday. But he was like, um, he, so he acknowledged our music is good, but his preaching's better. So if you need a good church and you don't like this one, go to Hope, good church. I don't know about that pastor. God uses him. And so he said, he was talking to this Chinese uh, missionary and said, how can you be a Chinese missionary? It's so difficult. All these folk, you know, if they find out you're a Christian, they'll take everything. How do you do it? And the Chinese missionary looks at him and says, how do you minister to rich people in Charlotte? Rich Christians are the hardest group because they think that the bread of heaven is their success. It is near impossible to separate that from loving obedience and following a God no matter what. In all things, we accept that the Lord has to do the work. In Charleston, we have this saying, you made your eye long. Same thing as making your eyes bigger than your stomach. You made your eye long. Jesus came to make us long-eyed. Seeing more than this world has to offer, seeing and, and, and hungry for me that we can actually fit into and do for yourself, seeing more than we have, wanting and hungry for what doesn't seem to fit our lives or even our belief, more than we can stomach when we hear about him in the gospel. But longing for life and faith when our eyes are on him. Long eyes.